0: Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 175 of the podcast or you're joining us live here on YouTube, maybe. I don't know if the Wi-Fi is holding up strong enough to keep us on the live stream. Today is Sunday, February the 9th. We are coming off of UFC 247, John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. Before we get into that, let me introduce the man to my left, joining me for his first ever podcast experience, amateur mixed martial artist. Local fighter here in Tampa, veteran of our great United States Marine Corps, Mr. Matt Allison, Matty Ice. Matt, thanks for doing this show, sir. Hey, thanks
1: for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Alright, I see uh, we got a, a championship belt here. Uh, for those watching on YouTube. You can see uh, you can see half of it here in the picture. Vigilant MMA. This thing will be on the line next weekend. Tell me about your upcoming fight.
1: So, next weekend, February 15th, I have my 135-pound amateur title defense against Javier Gonzalez fighting at a Fusion XL. I will be defending the strap for the first time, so I'm very excited. They say a real champion defense, so that's what I'm here to do. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if I go pro after this, you know, depending on how, how this fight goes. Hopefully, it will be in spectacular dominant fashion and mm-hmm. working hard, and we'll see. But for right now, the mission is to defend. And not vacate so let's do it
0: awesome so for those who don't know in the state of Florida you need five amateur fights before you are permitted to go pro there are loopholes and everything like that but if you go by the book five amateur fights and you can go pro you already have five under your belt this will be number seven if I'm not mistaken correct okay um, so yeah is the plan if this goes well are we going pro if it doesn't go well, are we just gonna go pro? Uh, you know, what's your mindset going into this, or are you just trying to focus on the task at hand here? I've got
1: two pretty big factors on my mind for this. As far as technique goes, I know how to fight. I feel I feel pretty comfortable everywhere. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys around the Tampa area seem to know me as a grappler, but that's just because in all my fights, once I start putting hands on people, that's where it goes. They start mm-hmm. shooting for those takedowns. I do compete a lot in wrestling. I do compete a lot in jujitsu. However, I'm 26 years old now, right? Mm-hmm. I got in the game a little late. I'm still young. I feel great, but I want to start making my mark. Now, that second issue I was mentioning is the fact that I'm in college, right? Uh-huh. It's hard to be taking 18 credits. Mm-hmm. You're learning about kinesiology, and then you got to fight a guy next week and cut weight while <laughs> you have exams. So, uh-huh. yes, I plan on going in there. I plan on showing a very dynamic skill set, putting pressure on this man. And if I get that green light from Billy Q, who is my manager, and he's a UFC fighter— Mm -hmm. If I get that green light to go pro, I will. The only thing is, is will I be very active? I don't think I will be until I graduate college. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to be very picky and choosy. So I may or may not take one more amateur fight, maybe in the April, May time frame. Mm -hmm. But the plan is I would really like to be able to go pro in mid to late summer where I can have that time away from school, really put the emphasis on training, put on some weight because as what we'll get into, is I'm really light for an amateur, uh, for, for a Bantamweight fighter. Sure. So uh, really, I got two options. That's go down to 25 and, and murder some children, or <laughs> I, got, I got to put
0: on some man weight and stay at 35, so we'll see. Yeah, we don't want any children murdered, <laughs> uh, so maybe let's go with the weight gain option. Um, so you're talking about how you're pretty light for a 135, or uh, what do you normally walk around at?
1: I mean, a gentleman never tells, but uh, I'm not a gentleman today, so uh, I walk around at
0: about 142 pounds, uh, Okay, I
1: barely cut any weight.
0: You don't have to worry about being a gentleman here. We drink a lot of whiskey on this show. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, tell me what you know about your opponent. You told me he trains at Fusion XL, which is a pretty friendly gym with your gym, Gracie Tampa South. Um, you know, there's a lot of cross-training that goes on between these two gyms, but uh, other than where he's training, which... It sounds like he he's pretty new at that gym anyway. Uh, what do you know about this guy? You're about to have to get in there so with So I'm going to be
1: honest. I don't know too much on him. I've only seen one of his fights. I don't particularly like to stalk other fighters and, mm-hmm. and, and look at things because I feel like when you do that, you tend to give someone something. You know what I mean? Like let's say someone lands some clean shots or gets some good takedowns, right? Mm-hmm. Now in your head you're thinking, oh, like their takedown game is good or their hands are clean. But really the guy they were fighting could have just been garbage, right? And yeah, they're glorifying a man that – might not have anything on you. So all I know about him is that looking at his record, looking at his fights, he's not afraid to get in a fist fight. Mm-hmm. Right? He's pretty durable. So he can go in there, he can take some shots, he can give some, some shots. He goes for takedowns, he goes for strikes. So I see him bringing a very dynamic fight. Mm-hmm. And I'm not insulting the man at all, but I don't see him shining anywhere particularly. And that's sure. the thing. So.
0: I, like the, I like the mentality, and it seems to be a common mentality in this Gracie Tampa network of... Not really researching opponents too much, especially at, at this level. Your opponent here, it seems like he hasn't fought in about a year. He's at a new gym. So you could be researching the guy, looking up all his fights, and then be standing across from somebody completely exactly. different.
1: He might even look completely different. I don't
0: know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of plastic surgeons in Florida. There's some good ones. <laughs> yeah, some real good ones. Um, he may be a different gender by next week. Who knows? Not. I don't want to beat up a girl. you know. So <laughs> yeah, we don't want to see that. Um, so tell me about um, the actual process of fighting as an amateur in Florida. Because I know you've bounced around from a couple of different promotions. Um, it is there one that you favor more than the other? Obviously, we're promoting Vigilant right now. Um, But have you found a pretty uniform experience, or is it completely different every time?
1: So, I'm glad you brought that up. It (laughs) is night and day, depending on the promotion you fight for as an amateur. Mm -hmm. And to me, what really keeps me coming back to one organization or the other comes down to convenience or my relationship with the owner. Mm -hmm. So... I'll say that my favorite fighting experience has come from fighting for rival, believe it or not, under Ross Kellen. Okay. And that's just because I admire the guy. He's awesome. He's mm-hmm. he's dead honest with you. There's no bullshit in his game, you know? Like, yeah. He, he tells you what he expects. He tells you who, who you're going to fight. And that's it. And he's always looking. Yeah. Um, I fought for WCFL a few times. And that's nice because they have a great production. Yeah. So all your fights, very professional. You walk in there like... I've seen professional boxing fights at the J C at the JCC over there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it looked like our amateur fights were, were, were put together more professionally than those pro boxing fights were. Mm-hmm. And what's nice is after those fights, people can look you up. They can watch your fights online. Rival doesn't quite have the production, but they have great fighters. Yeah. And then with Vigilant here, we got Brandon Lee in charge of Vigilant. He's doing his very best. He's putting some great events together. He's getting all the biggest names he can from the Tampa area to fight. So right now I'm fighting for him because he's – putting the most out there right now Mm -hmm. right and i and i appreciate that it's just nice to get in there and see different looks and i like the fact that they're half amateur half pro yeah so that's just that exposure to see professional fights and amateur fights under the same way and realize like we're not that far away
0: yeah yeah exactly and then you know it it makes that progression a little bit easier if you decide to turn pro and you could stay within a familiar promotion right Uh, that'll probably make it an easier transition for you so you mentioned the jewish community center over here in tampa i've been to some of those wcfl shows uh including some of your fights uh they do an excellent job they do video uh very professional for for amateur fights um your fight next weekend is going to be at mini reg hall in largo florida um you know before we move on with the with the interview here you want to let people know how they can get tickets or how they can watch or everything like that
1: yeah absolutely guys so if you go on to vigilant You'll select the event for February 15th, it'll be called Combat Quest 6 or CQ6. All you do is you go to select tickets, and then once you select tickets, you select the choice that you want. So they've got VIP tables, they've got different rows, they've got general admission. Once you select your ticket, it'll give you a list of names, fighter names. You click on the name that you want to support that fighter. Now there's also a live streaming option if you can't get there, right? So if you can't make the event, you can watch from anywhere in the United States, same deal, you go on to VigilantMMA.com, and then there'll be a, a little drop box up in the top right-hand corner, I believe, and then you'll be able to select buying an, a, a live stream, and you'll be able to watch me fight live. If the connection gets bad, it's not my fault, guys. All right? <laughs> Don't come at Matty Ice for that. Uh, and then one more thing. If you're in the local area, I do have some physical tickets. They're going for $40, so hit me up before I have to get rid of those on Friday during my weigh-in.
0: Yeah, definitely reach out to Matt. Uh, you can reach him on his social media, Maddie Ice MMA, on Instagram. Is there another way people can get a hold of you?
1: I guess you can get a hold of me on Facebook, guys. <laughs> I don't really use it, but I get tagged from people in the community in the gym.
0: All right, go, go with the Instagram. Uh, so you mentioned uh, your, your coaching staff, specifically Billy Quarantello, who's a big friend of the show. He's been on here a couple of times. UFC fighter, uh, one of the most successful fighters to come out of the area by far. Uh, so tell me about your team and, and your coaching staff because I like I like the way you were telling me about how you're thinking about going pro and how you have all these different aspects of your life that are going to go into it, but uh, specifically you're trusting your coaches to help you make that decision. So tell me a little bit about the team and, and let's uh, give them a little bump here.
1: So we like to look at Billy Q, or at least I, I know a lot of people share the same opinion, but Billy Q is kind of like our general Mattis, you know, he's a crazy guy. <laughs> He's a hell of a leader. He's always in the trenches with us. You won't catch us at Sprints without him being there early in the morning. He won't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do. But that's the thing, you know, the guy wants to be successful. He trains, he trains, he trains. If you check his Instagram out, the guy's up at five in the morning lifting, then doing privates, then training, then eating, then training. I don't think he has a personal life, to be honest. That's (laughs) all right. Okay. And he, he puts that on us and he keeps on us. You know what I mean? If I go out and I party one weekend, the man knows, I'm telling mm-hmm. you. He's got satellites up in the sky. Don't know how he found that out, but he's got things working, and I love that about him, you know. Mm-hmm. He, will, he will make sure that we're doing what we have to do. And if you're not doing what you have to do, he puts your goals in your face because we don't have unlimited time in this world, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. And he makes that very clear. The guys that are starting now in this blowing up sport, they're starting when they're like six years old. They're doing jiu-jitsu. They're wrestling, right. So if we're getting started later in the game, we have to work that much harder to beat these guys, and he makes it clear. Now, as far as the team goes, they all have that same drive, I feel like. Mm-hmm. If you go into the gym, whether you're going to, like, cap classes, so advanced advanced classes, or you're going into MMA-specific, like, the team-specific uh, training classes, you're going to see the same guys, right, the same set of, of, of guys, and they all want to push each other really, really hard, so it's awesome. So every time I go in that gym, i got a mean wrestler I can go with that's bigger than me. i got a guy that's got mean boxing, mean kickboxing, amazing cardio, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see everything in there, and I love it, man. It's just a, it's a, great, it's a great team community, and there's some killers in there. So
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I definitely like what you said about Billy really throwing your goals in your face and having that accountability. I think that's an important quality for a coach to have, and it's important to have the respect of your fighters to the point where you can hold them accountable. Because if you don't have their respect and you try and push their goals in their face, right. uh, you know there's a lot of ego that comes along with being a cage fighter. And it's not always a good mixture. You don't always have that, that perfect blend of re- respect and forcing accountability. So it, it's definitely a good thing that you have that because I, I've been around this sport for a long time. I've been around a lot of gyms and I've seen a lot of toxic environments. Um, so it, it's definitely good to have uh, positive people around like that. Uh, that that, that holds you accountable.
1: Yeah, Billy, uh, he likes to get on me. It's funny, for a little period of time, I was what we called the black sheep on the team. So when I separated from the Marine Corps, I wanted to live my life a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. I was going to college. So I started going to a lot of music festivals. Right? Yeah. I just loved going to do that. So I'd fight, go to music festivals. Sometimes go to a music festival inside of a training camp, you know? Oh, boy. And that would set him off. So he'd come down on me publicly. And what he likes to do is after sparring on Thursday nights, right? He doesn't like to say the individual's name, but he makes it very clear who he's talking about. So you everyone. know. So you know, <laughs> but they all know as well. And there have been times where I've literally grabbed another teammate and be like, does this guy forget I've deployed twice? Like, <laughs> I'm not, like I'm, not a, I'm not a little kid anymore, you know? But I yeah. appreciate that. That's what you're talking about, is that we respect him so much that even though, like, I'm a grown-ass man, you know? Yeah. I've, I've done some things, but Billy will come on me and treat me like a kid, and... For that honesty, I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think in a lot of situations, it's easy for that that ego, yeah, to kind of blow up and, and it's like, why is he talking? Yeah, you know, why is he talking to me like that? Yeah, you know, like you said, those thoughts that cross your mind. I've deployed twice. I've have been in cage fights. I've done all this stuff. You know, who is this guy to tell me? But then, the fact that you realize that he has your best interests in mind and he yeah. wants to see you succeed kind of is what checks that ego, but it's not always the case. I've seen it not work out more often than I've seen it work out. Um, uh, you know, cause, cause fighters are tricky people to deal with. There's, there's definitely an odd psychology there. Um, talk to me a little bit about your military experience. Um, obviously you have that Marine work ethic that you bring into the gym, but is there anything else that you feel like had, push you towards this cage-fighting lifestyle or helps you out with your training, you know, besides that work ethic?
1: So I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18. Technically speaking, I actually enlisted when I was 17, but I had to graduate high school before I went, right? Sure. So by the time I had gone in, it was the summer right after I graduated high school, so I was 18 years old. Left my family, uh, got stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which if anyone here is listening has been to that area of the world, it's Jacksonville, North Carolina. It's just tattoo parlors, strip clubs, and bars, right? There's really not much else to do out there. That lifestyle, though, was what I needed mm-hmm. because growing up, I was always pissed off for no reason, and don't get me wrong. My parents were phenomenal. Like They gave me everything I could need or want. Yeah. It's not like I grew up in an abusive household or anything like that. Uh, for those of you that don't know, actually, this might come to a surprise. My mom is actually full-blown Peruvian. Like, she immigrated here when she was 17. It's actually why okay. I've got NT on my arm here. It's a symbol of good luck and prosperity in Peru. But I like to joke around and say that if you can survive a Hispanic mother, you can survive anything, right? (laughs) So going into the Marine Corps, I was like, I've already lived 18 years of of dictatorship, okay? So it's all good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I joined the infantry, and that that lifestyle, I don't know what it was, but for the first time ever, I just felt like I had direction, right? Mm -hmm. All the anger, all the boredom, all, all the ADHD, everything just like... It became so clear to me what I had to do. Like, you have to learn these weapon systems. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to give these orders. You have to know how to go through these procedures because it's important. There's no game. There's no excuse. Like, everything that you do is on you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's a merit-based system. It's not like mommy and daddy gave someone this or this kid drives this car or they wear these clothes. You're all the same, and you have to work based on merit to get where you want to be, and I love that. mm mm-hmm. So one of the jobs that I took up was I was a martial arts instructor, right? Mm-hmm. I became an MAI. So I was teaching Marines, and I actually, led, I actually led a whole fleet of Marines on our last deployment on 26MU, and I was in charge of the martial arts program. Mm-hmm. So while I was doing this, I was like, man, I love this stuff, you know? And I was a big fan of the UFC. I'll never forget the night Ronda Rousey got knocked out by Holly Holm, uh-huh. we were on ship just outside of Iraq. Right. Wow. The whole ship was roaring when she got killed. Sorry, to Rhonda. Right? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like necessarily celebrating your loss here, but it took everyone by surprise, and that's when I knew I was like, one day, I want to be that guy fighting, and I want to have a bunch of Marines losing their damn mind somewhere when they're bored as hell, scared as hell, mm-hmm. whatever. I just want them to have something to look forward to.
0: So it's the kind of thing where everybody that was on the ship c- comes and they put the fights on. Everyone. That's awesome. It's something
1: to look forward to. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, this sport has grown so much, Mm -hmm. right? I just remember watching, like, the old Ultimate Fighters, and no one really knew about it. Like, they're fighting on Spike TV and stuff like that. But now there are household names. Yeah. And it's crazy, right? You never used to hear about the MMA casuals. People diss MMA casuals, right? They're like, these guys don't know anything. But here's the thing. Like, at least random people are speaking about our sport now. Yeah. They might not know shit. But at least it's in their mouth. It's in a household, and that's what's awesome.
0: Yeah, I um personally I don't like the term casual as something negative. Uh, I like to think that as part of the MMA media, it's my job to inform these people, not put them down. Exactly. Because if you kind of insult them and say you don't know anything, you're just a casual fan, you're turning them away from the sport exactly. that you want to grow. Um, but you know that's a whole thing we can yeah. get into but uh that that was not the answer that i was expecting but it, it is an awesome answer i especially love the part about surviving a hispanic mother i'm uh, just saying because uh <laughs> my my in-laws are peruvian as are well really? so yeah I so how it is <laughs> yeah well i survive a hispanic mother-in-law so <laughs> i guess i'm in the club i better get one of those tattoos <laughs> guys
1: my father okay my father only gave me two pieces of advice it was hilarious I'll never forget this it's when i was 17 right it was right after I joined the military because he told me not to, and I I did it anyway. We were at dinner, and my recruiter showed up. He was pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes, "Listen, I think you got a good head on your shoulders." He's like, "I think you're pretty tough. I don't necessarily worry about you going out and getting beat up or making a dumb decision." He's like, "But if I could just give you two pieces of advice in your life, it's have your own separate bank account. Don't marry a Hispanic woman." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "He's like, I didn't get these white hairs because of my genetics." So,
0: I um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to have to reach for that hair dye pretty soon. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, your dad and I have a lot in common. All right, so before I get myself in trouble here, <laughs> let's uh, let's get into some uh, professional mixed martial arts here. Um, since I have you here on the show, we might as well break down UFC 247. So let's start at the top John Jones defending his light heavyweight championship against Dominic Reyes. Very close fight. We were talking about this a little bit off air. Uh, you told me you were kind of going back and forth on how you feel about it. Um, there's been a lot of debate uh, amongst fans that I've seen on, on social media and things like that. There, there's a lot of people, and I think a lot of it is, is rooted in, there's a lot of people who want to see Jones fail probably because of you know all the bullshit in his personal life and um you know they don't really like the way he carries himself and or whatever the reason or you know some people just don't want to see somebody succeed for so long um but putting all that aside and and being totally unbiased about it who do you think won this main event fight last night in houston texas
1: wow i mean i hope i don't take too much speculation on this one but before I just give you an answer, I have to add this one bit of information in it, okay? It's, it's not necessarily meant to be a counter-question, but it kind of is. Okay. Who do you think went for the kill in that fight?
0: Um, well, in the beginning of the fight, Reyes, because he, he definitely, you know, came smoking out of the barrel. Uh, but it kind of seemed like Jones' game plan was to let him kind of blow his wad in the beginning and then put it on him in the championship rounds, which is what happened, because I, I thought the most dominant round was probably that fifth round. Um, really? I I thought so, uh, just because the, the pressure from Jones. Um, but if you ask me who wanted it more uh, and phrase the question that way, I would say Reyes.
1: So at the end of the fight... I didn't know where it was going to go in my head. I was thinking, like, how, how would I rate this? Forget the judges. We all know that they're not reliable. How would I rate this fight? In my head, I was thinking, if we just go strictly off of rounds, okay, mm-hmm. I think Dominic Reyes won the first three rounds. Don't get me wrong. The third round was close, and Jones clearly took the last two. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. So if we speculate on the third round, I think Reyes caught the better of the striking exchanges. Now, I think the third round is where we saw that onset of Jones' front pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And we have to understand that now in the new updated rules, pressure, octagon control is what we're calling it, right? Octagon control or pressure
0: mm-hmm.
1: is part of the scoring system. But there's no, there's, there's like no scale on what matters more, right? Yeah. Does, does a significant strike relate to how many seconds of forward pressure? Yeah. We don't have that scale to judge. But I think that Dominic has controlled 60 to 70% of that round. Yes, Jones may have gotten in and gotten a takedown, but what is a takedown if you just touch your butt and come up? Mm-hmm. Why was he taking him down is the question. Was he afraid to commit to the boxing exchanges? Yeah, And that's what my biggest point is. is I think his takedown efforts were simply efforts to get points in a scoring system. And again, there's a scoring system, mm-hmm. but I think Reyes' commitment to being in that pocket and fighting was to create damage in the fight. Yeah. So when I look at it from that perspective, we go from where Reyes was quite literally chasing Jones in the first and second round, yeah. blowing his wad, but in the third round committing and Jones is trying to get points. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that's that's some great analysis. Um, here's the here's the thing, and there's <laughs> always that old saying that, that people in the business are, are really starting to get annoyed by is to be the champ, you gotta beat the champ gotta and the you champ. gotta do it convincingly and just to give a little bit more insight to the judges, like, like you said, they're not reliable, but just to give a little more insight, that mentality comes from boxing, because back in the 90s in boxing, if the fight went 12 rounds, the champ won, no matter what. It doesn't matter what happened in those 12 rounds. Granted, there's more, there's more margin for error because there's 12 rounds, but if if it went the distance, the champ wins, and for the Texas Athletic Commission, you have boxing judges. They are, they're boxing guys. They know boxing. That's what they know. So they have that mentality. At the end of the round, oh, that round was close. Champ got it. Um, the thing that I thought was crazy because I agree. I think one and two were clear for Reyes. Four and five were clear for Jones. And that third round is is where it kind of gets a little muddy because you know what do you value more the the significant strikes or or the takedowns that you know maybe. You could even argue you don't even score his takedowns because he touched and got back up. Um, what I thought was crazy is two of those judges gave the second round to John Jones, <laughs> which is which is nuts to me. Um, and, and one judge gave gave uh, two through five to John Jones. Uh, so that really just shows, like, that guy is the most boxing mentality judge uh, on the whole panel uh, because he sees... All right, this guy's the champ. He made it out of that round. The champ won that round. That That's just how boxing judging worked. Um, and, and it's something that we need to move away from. Uh, I hate to be a problem identifier and not a problem solver, uh, but we definitely need to revamp the, the judging criteria. Uh, I know you've been a part yourself personally of yeah. some, uh, some, some controversial split decisions. Um, what is that feeling like when you know – you were involved in a close fight, but you know in your heart that you you were the better fighter in there, uh, and then you're waiting for that moment to hear what these three people thought about it.
1: So that is that is hard to deal with, um, and I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about human mentality, but sometimes, and this is a circumstance, I'm not going to name the fighter or the organization, right? And then if you think professional judges are bad, you should see amateur judges, especially... <laughs> not knocking on anyone again, but especially if those judges are in the network of the gym that the person's fighting from, just Mm. saying. That's a little sketchy, right? But I feel like sometimes when you're the more aggressive fighter, or let's say you're the more skilled fighter, sometimes the other guy gets rewarded because you weren't able to do what you wanted to to them. And I don't mean as in you couldn't get shots off or takedowns, but it's Mm -hmm. like, because you couldn't finish the guy, they're like, oh, like that's awesome, he survived in there with you in these situations. Like, yeah. We should reward him for that. Yeah. like No, we shouldn't reward him for that. We should reward him for being able to do something to you. Yeah. So this is where I get a little concerned, okay? When it comes to these split decisions, right, we have the whole takedown concept. We were talking about this with, with Jones and Reyes. If you take a guy down and you're on top of him, right, mm. if you're not moving to pass guard and if you're not throwing punches but you're holding him down, and any form of grappling martial art, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, that would be considered stalling. Right. But for whatever reason in these fights, in their head, they're like, I've got 30 seconds left. Let me just get him to the ground and hold him. Yeah. Right? To me, and this isn't just trying to be biased, that's because you're doing it out of desperation. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't get what I want on this guy, so I'm just going to hold him here. Yeah. How long can you hold someone there? You know what I mean? Realistically. Yeah. So, I don't know. But it's tough. It's tough being there when you think you put in the work, you know, like, you don't know at the time, but after you go back through and count strikes that you landed, you know you landed more, you took less, you had more time on control, whatever. But at the end of that fight, when you know you want to fight, the only reason, the only way you have to really prove to yourself that you won, look at the other guy's corner. Mm -hmm. When they're calling that split decision and you look across the cage, your coaches are here already ready to take pictures of you, give you hugs, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. and they're praying across the cage from you, Please, my buddy get this. Please, my buddy get this, right? <laughs> in your head, you know they won that fight. Yeah. All right? And it's on their face, too.
0: It, it, yeah. It's a tough thing with the judges, especially because they're in the arena. They can hear the crowd. Uh, you know, the people are, are shouting things, and they can hear it. They're taking it all in. I think that the judges should be in, like, a soundproof room where they have a monitor that they're watching, and they can't be influenced by anything, Um Uh, aside from some other criteria they should probably be paid better so more qualified people will want to do it i mean that's not a job i could see anybody wanting because they don't get paid a lot yeah they get to watch fights all night and get paid to do it but um you're never going to be the good guy because you see things a certain way and and there's always going to be some somebody who sees it different you know it's a tough job and I don't want to defend them by any means because the the judging was all over the place last night and that's more so my problem. If it were consistent and I could see like they were favoring takedowns the whole night, then I get it. I get why John Jones won that fight because, you know, he did get Reyes to the ground and and it looked like it was tough to do that, but there was no consistency with that because uh, Latifi was able to get Derek Lewis to the ground right. and he lost the decision and um, and he was actually able to hold him down there to the point where the the referee had to stand him back up which I, I'm against stand-ups myself. I don't know your feeling on it but um, I know you say it, it's stalling to hold somebody down but I feel like if the guy can't get up then he's got to stay there for for five minutes or however long it is but uh, look, since I brought it up let's skip around a little bit. Let's talk about Derek Lewis and, and Alir Latifi making his heavyweight debut uh, last night. So t- two guys who had very different body types than we're used to seeing from them. But um, w- what did you think about this fight? So I'll be honest with you. I
1: actually missed that fight. Okay. I was I was heading to go meet up with some. Actually, Alon Cruz, who's in the UFC. I, I like to go to a place called Duffy's here in Tampa. And okay. I watched tons of fights with him and some other guys from my team. And uh, I was actually getting my girlfriend, who was a little hungover from the night before, and just... Stayed in all day, so I actually missed that fight. Nice. I came in just to see the end, and I was like, wow. But uh, I got the same rundown. Ear Latifi was taking him down, holding him to the ground, which, in my head, I love Derrick Lewis, by the way, guys, just because of how he acts. You yeah. know, if you don't find some quality gold in his commentary, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But I kind of figured Ear Latifi would take him down and hold him there. And from yeah. what I was told, it's what happened.
0: And, it, you know, he, he absorbed some big shots from Derrick Lewis as well. Um, so his chin holds up at heavyweight. I still feel like, I mean, here's a guy who could be fighting at middleweight. And he's like, I haven't been having success at light heavyweight. Let me get bigger. And he weighed in at like 240-something. Um, meanwhile, Lewis looked the trimmest he's ever looked. Um, so not the most exciting fight on the card. Um, but let's get to the, the co-main event here. So somebody asked me uh, before this card, who has? Who's more likely to lose between the main event and the co-main event? And I said, uh, John Jones is more likely to lose because he can get caught with a big shot. You know, right. they're they're bigger fighters. The higher the weight class, typically more power they have. You know, there's exceptions obviously, but anything can happen at those bigger weight classes. One shot can end the fight. Um, whereas Caitlin Chukagian, I feel like. Um, You know She's a point-style fighter, and there's nothing wrong with that, but she would have to outpoint Valentina Shevchenko for five rounds um, to to win that one. So I felt like she had less chance of winning. I thought she would be in it a little bit more than she was in it, um, but, man, what a performance by the bullet here. So give me your thoughts on this co-main event.
1: I've said it to multiple people, and I'm going to continue to say it as long as this woman continues to get better. But I want none of Valentina Shevchenko. I don't care if she's lighter than me. If you put me in that octagon with her, I'm going to do anything I can to get her to the floor. Her striking is phenomenal, and that's not just for female fighters. That's for striking in general. Mm -hmm. It is so crisp. Her reads, her counters, her slips, everything. Like, that woman just knows where she's at. Mm -hmm. When she she hit that, like, wheel kick Mm -hmm. to the face, like, right over the guard. To be able to know, to be able to create that space and get your foot over someone's guard when they're coming in, like, on a taller fighter, it's amazing, right? And she didn't have to risk that. She was doing very well with her boxing. She was landing that, too, in there. She was timing it perfectly. But, again, that's just her style. She she knows she's so phenomenal. And when she gets loose, it's scary. When she feels comfortable and knows your timing, it's scary to see how good that woman is. So, heading into the fight... I kind of figured that uh, Valentino Shevchenko would finish it, but I thought, I thought it would be from a head kick KO. I really thought, saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Leading up to the fight, I saw highlight videos, and uh, what was the killer name? Ch- Ch- Ch-
0: Chukagin.
1: Chukagin. I was watching her highlight videos, and she's got that almost like a kind of Wonder Boy style in a, in a way. She's got that mm-hmm. um, traditional striking background, but she dips her head out to make people miss. I'm thinking in my head, you can't do that with Valentina. You'll mm-hmm. eat that head kick, right? Yeah. I did not see the ground and pound coming. Yeah. Her wrestling was so good. Anytime that Chikagan would overextend herself, Valentina got her hips in, simple outside trips to the ground, mm-hmm. and she was just so dominant. That cru- crucifix came in, and that was it. That was I, all I wrote.
0: I think her grappling is very underrated, too. I mean, she submitted black belts in the UFC, um, and, and she she was Had so much top control uh, over Trukayan, who's a a very accomplished grappler herself. Trains at Hanzo Gracies in New York City. Uh, She's got a great team out there. Uh, Trains at Law MMA a bunch as well, uh, who are big time friends of the show. Um, you, You know, she's. You would think like maybe she would have an advantage on the ground, but. Um, you know, Valentina was just so dominant, and that crucifix that she grabbed. They asked her afterwards if it was something she worked on. She was like, "No, it was just kind of there. there." And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Caitlyn was doing the right things to try and get out of it. She was trying to, you know, get her shoulders, um, get her shoulders out from underneath Valentina, and um, just couldn't budger and that's that's a scary thing when, when you're standing with someone and Chukagan even kind of pulled guard towards the end there um, you're standing with someone and you know they're getting the better of you so like let me get this to the ground any way I can and they get the better of you there too that's got to be the most disheartening thing but um, I mean for my money Valentina Shevchenko is, is one of the most impressive fighters male or female on the planet she's um, up there I mean, I think if she were a little bit bigger, you know, maybe the, the fights would have gone differently with Amanda Nunez. Um, you know, that first fight, and I say this every time Valentina fights, um, that first fight, you know, she lost the first two rounds. With that third round, she was putting it on her. If that were a five round fight, maybe a different story. And then their more recent fight, I, I thought it could have gone either way. I thought it was really close. And um, you know, everybody talks about Nunez being the, the greatest, but. I, I want to see that third fight, even though Valentina lost two. Like I kind of want to see her get in there with Amanda now that she has this newfound momentum. I think uh, it'll still be fun to see it a third time.
1: So I share that opinion. Actually, in my mind, it goes Valentina Shevchenko and then Amanda Nunes. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I believe that is because you see how dominant that Valentina is in her own weight class, but she's also fought Holly Holm. She's fought Amanda Nunes. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's fought Joanna and she's just done well against all of the current best female athletes. Mm-hmm. But she's the smallest of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, not Joanna, but she's smaller than Amanda and Holly Holmes significantly. We're talking oh, yeah. about 145-pound champions and, and title contenders, right, mm-hmm. compared to the 125-pound champion. So that's just impressive. If we look at male fighters, right, there's no way in heck you're just going to, like, play down someone moving up from 45 to 70. Yeah. Or from 70 to... To light heavy weight. You yeah. Know? And, and be like, oh, yeah, but that person was better. How? You can take someone to a split decision who's the best in the world at that weight and they're two weight classes above you. Yeah. You're talking about a woman that just walks around her own weight and she's confident in her own skills. Yeah. And I will say this having a Glock tattooed on your body,
0: uh, that's bad news, man. She's a, she's a badass, man. And, uh, you know, she spent a lot of time in Peru. Spent she, a lot of time in Peru. She, I'm she, you. she lived there for 10 years, I believe. He um, even uh, holds up the Peruvian flag uh, before she fights. Um, the heavyweights, Justin Taffa and, and Juan Adams. Um, Taffa, just nasty. Uh, probably overextended with the shot that, mm-hmm. that finished Juan Adams, but it finished Juan Adams. Uh, give me your thoughts on this heavyweight so what's,
1: so what's so interesting about that, right? So From the lead hook, a lot of people throw those lead hooks to either create a check hook and distance to set up the straight, you don't necessarily see a winding lead hook and then a follow through to the same side because you're still on the rail, right? But when he clipped him with that, the fact that he saw it and I like to diss on a lot of heavyweights doesn't mean I want to fight any of those guys. Yeah. But let's just be honest here. Until we talk about the top five in the heavyweight division, you're seeing a lot of heavyset dudes. Yeah. Whose actual framework could make them light heavyweights, middleweights, right? Sure. They just you know they're middleweights that have heavyweight diets. Yeah. That's how I like to look at it. But he sets up that lead hook. Recognizes that he caught him, reloads his hips and crushes him with that lead uppercut. Mm-hmm. That was just very, very, very impressive reactional time to see from that guy. And he smelled blood and he followed through with it. And I just don't think Juan Adams. Honestly, he mentioned that he'd been training like never before. But if you looked at his stance, it was really weird how he we had the whole fingers-out thing for a while. But mm-hmm. he was backing up long like this, chin in the air. He mm-hmm. wasn't using any lateral movement. And I mean, at that weight, like you were mentioning earlier, people that big, like, you can't take shots from those guys. Yeah, You just can't.
0: Yeah, I mean, the heavyweights in, in particular typically get away with, with sloppier techniques. You you don't see it, – it's usually big guys. It's not guys who are, like, accomplished boxers or accomplished wrestlers. Uh, you know, they they do exist, like Stipe and DC and, mm-hmm. and guys like that. Um, but there are few and far between, you know, even accomplished grapplers at heavyweight you don't see because it, I, I have a, a theory that it's it's harder to be an accomplished grappler the bigger you are because you get away with doing things that are poor technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for a smaller guy, it's easier to develop technique because you need it. Right, but If your technique's not on point against bigger opponents, you're just gonna get smashed. Um, but, you know, for some of the heavier guys, like, we've seen Derek Lewis bench-press his way out of side yeah. control how many times, which every grappling coach on the world will tell you not to do that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's interesting how how they uh, how they get away with things like that. But that's why the heavyweights are exciting to watch. Um, Dan Ige and Mursad Bektik. Uh, this... This was another close fight, another split decision. Um, how did you see this one going?
1: So I actually agree with the decision. I saw that there was a lot of commentary online mm-hmm. saying saying that um, that Bechtick got robbed. Sorry if I'm killing his name. Again, not trying to insult anybody out here. <laughs> I was just phenomenally impressed with Dan Ige in the first round. Mm-hmm. That guy came in there. It, it looked like he was a fighter in his third round that had found his stride, found the other guy's timing, but mm-hmm. he started that way in the first round. I mean, he just looked so clean in that pocket. Even in the wrestling exchanges, he was getting the better of him at first. Yeah. You know, like that first round, Ige looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He put in that work. But in the second round, complete switch, right? It was yeah. completely Dominic by Bechtick. He almost actually finished him. Ige said that that head and arm trip wasn't too deep or that he wouldn't have chat, tapped from it because he trains with the best guys in this gym. But let's be honest, you know, that was a pretty dangerous position and he had control. So in my eyes, it was dead even, dominant first round for Ige, dominant second round for Mm Bectic. Going into that third, I really do truthfully believe that Ige did what he had to do to beat him. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because this is back to the whole, like, who wanted the kill, right? The only unfortunate thing about the scoring system of takedowns, why are you taking the guy down? Are you taking him down because you're taking him down to Khabib him? And this is why I don't ever complain about Khabib. If you're going to take him down to smash him, uh-huh. right, great. You should be awarded for that because now you are you are controlling your element of the game, right? But if you're just going for takedowns because you're afraid to get knocked out, mm. right, why is that you winning? So in my opinion, Ige was able to stop the takedowns in the third round. You were stopping the other guy's skill set and forcing him to play your game. I think that was why he won that fight because if you look at it in straight desperation— who really had the chance of finishing who in that third
0: round. Yeah. I
1: don't think Beckett had the chance of finishing Ige.
0: That's that's a great analysis. The only thing I I might question you on is the intentions of the takedown is something that's so hard to prove. Like how do you prove the guy was afraid to stand with the other guy like you, you know as a as a spectator maybe obvious like oh he doesn't want that smoke on the feet. That's, he, true. that's why that's he took true. him down. But um, you know if you ask that guy, he might say, like, no, I saw the opening. You know, he, he I saw him put all his weight on that leg, and I took it and, and went down with it. And, it, you know, maybe the truth is somewhere in the right, middle. Right. Um, so to kind of project, like, um, you know, d- he's doing things because he's afraid to do something else, um, that's, it gets a little muddy there. But that's why judging is hard, and I would never, ever want to do it. Yeah, um, and
1: it's impossible to know what's, what's going on. And, again, this is just my my my, my view, right, my – my version of the spectacle here. But when I look at a fighter, when I'm watching these fights at the highest level, right, when they're going for takedowns, so there's no one generic way to, to to have a fight, right? Every coach is going to tell you to do things differently. So me personally, when I look at it, if I'm going for takedowns, right, and they're not successful, let's say I've taken three shots in a, in a five-minute fight, right, or a mm-hmm. five-minute round. I've taken three shots in this one round. He stuffed all of them. But I did them very closely to each other, right? So, if I went for these three shots and they got shut down, why am I continuing to do that? Why would I not try to use his MMA? Why -hmm. would I not try to use my striking, get his mindset off of the takedowns, right? Hurt him with strikes, raise his hands with strikes, open the legs up, and then take him down. Mm -hmm. And that's why I kind of had that analysis of he really did not want to be there in the pocket with them. That, or maybe he just knew, hey... This is a close fight, one-to-one. I just have to get him to the ground for points. That could be another thing. Sure. But it was the rate at which he was trying to get him to the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a rough analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. Credit pulls, right? You pull your credit too many times, what happens to your credit score? It goes down, okay? Why are people doing these hard pulls on you? Same thing. Why are you trying so desperately for that Mm. takedown? I honestly, in my opinion, not talking any crap on the guy, in my opinion, it's because he understood that I have the disadvantage right here on the feet. If I'm going to win this round, I got to get him to the floor.
0: Nice. I like the way I like the way you justified that. That's probably the reason why we need people with fight experience judging fights. Um, I, I think it, it's crazy. Like usually people who judge like dance competitions are former dancers, people who judge figure skating have figure skated. Like yeah. why don't we have people? probably the I'm going to talk myself in a circle here. The answer is because we don't have that many people who are retired from fighting yet uh, because it's still a fairly new sport. Um, let's see. So that was a close fight. Another close fight. For In my book, uh, Fight of the Night, I don't know if you caught this one, Trevin Giles and James Krause. Uh, Credit to James Krause taking this fight on like 24 hours notice and moving up in weight um, and had an absolute war with Trevin Giles. Uh, dominated the first round, which... One of the judges scored to Trevin Giles, I heard. I didn't fact check this. Somebody somebody texted me and said one of the judges uh, gave the first round to Trevin Giles. I don't know how um, or if that's true, and they were just trolling me and trying to get me to say it on the air without me fact checking it because I'm not big on fact checking. Um, if that's what you were doing, then good job. You did it. But uh, Did you catch this one, Matt? I didn't manage to catch it. No. Alright, so uh, super close, super back and forth. This was a split decision that Probably should have gone to Kraus, but it could have gone either way. Um, Giles was in some really bad situations with James Kraus attached to his back for minutes. And and that's huge. To have somebody on your back for minutes in a fight, um, That that's a lot of control. But credit for Giles for hanging in there and not getting submitted because James Kraus' high-level jiu-jitsu um, probably was just a little bit undersized uh, and, and maybe, like a little bit out of fight shape um to to move up in weight but man you got to respect the guy for for stepping up and making it competitive and controlling a lot of the fight um give me your thoughts even though you didn't see the fight on on him just taking this on 24 hours notice a a weight class up
1: so for those that don't know i'm a i'm a bantamweight and like i said i walk around pretty light um, four of my six fights are at 145 pounds, and three of them I took on 24 hours notice at 145. So I literally stepped on the scale with clothes on, and I was like 141, 143. And the reason why is because it's hard to get fights for me sometimes as a bantamweight. I'm a, yeah. I'm not heavy, but I'm 5'11 at bantamweight, you know. Mm. And uh, when you train in a certain area, you meet sparring partners, you spot sparring partners, and then they go back and tell their friends, they're like, oh, you got to fight next week, and who are you fighting? they're like, oh... Uh, Yeah, that guy actually, he's about it, you know what I mean? (laughs) So that's what happens. So I can tell you right now, even though in my head I'm like, oh, I'm a Marine, I'm a badass, who cares? Like, that's why I do that dumb shit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I go home and I'm like, why the hell did I just take a fight on 24 hours notice to a guy that could be weighing like like, 165 right now, 170. So, and that's at my level. So in my opinion, that's probably the most gangster move this guy's ever done. There are no easy fights in the UFC okay, there are certain exceptions where someone gets put into the card to help boost someone up. We all know this, okay? Yeah. We all know what happens. There's been some celebrities from other sports. I'm not going to trash on guys that have tried. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> all right? But to, to go in there in confidence, and like you said, he didn't know he was going to have a fight that day. Yeah. You know? So to go in there on short notice, true short notice, right? Not being in a fight camp. And I'm sure I'm sure he trains every day, yeah. right? But not... Mentally, not being in a fight camp, right? And to fight up a guy the weight above you in the UFC, thats that just shows his mentality. Yeah. Like he believes in himself. So that's huge. Big, sure. big props to that guy.
0: For some people, it's even a mental advantage because for some people, that fight camp can be mentally draining. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of fighters over the years, and some of them like the idea of like, if I could just bypass all the buildup to the fight and just get in there and fight – right. It would probably be better for me i mean we've seen it work out for michael bisbing he won a world championship that way um but other people have a different mentality where they need to be organized everything has to go perfectly right for 10 weeks before they get in the cage and if it doesn't then they're thrown off mentally there's there's so many different approaches to it and uh there's there's no right one it's like it, it's like a, a proper diet. There's no right diet that works for everybody. There's no right mental approach that works for everybody. Um, and that's not just fighters. That's that's people in general. You, not everybody thinks the same way. Um, in any case, did, can I assume that you didn't catch the rest of the prelims here? No, so I didn't catch most of those I'll just places. go over these uh, pretty high level. There's just a couple of things I want to touch on. Lauren Murphy and, and Andrea Lee had a split decision that was – that was really close. Um, at the end of the fight, it did not look like Lauren Murphy won the fight. Um, she, she got lumped up pretty good. I, I kind of favored Lee in this one, but um, it was close. Uh, Kalen Williams with a, a nasty knockout over Alex Murano. Uh, if you guys missed that one, go back and check that one out. Um, Mario Bautista, uh, flying knee knockout over Miles Johns, who Miles Johns was undefeated going into this, I believe. Uh, so go back and check that one out. Uh, here's one I want to talk about. Journey Newson against Domingo Pilarte. So Domingo Pilarte, much like yourself, six feet tall, 135 pounds. And the guy is jacked. like it doesn't look to me like he could possibly make 135 pounds if you look at this guy. Kind of looks like Kenny Florian too. Um, so Journey Newson, five foot five, um looks like a bantam um these guys it, it looked like he was in there with a middleweight um oh. but newson coming away with the knockout um and it, it was beautiful the way he set it up so he got caught with a head kick early on in the fight uh he got rocked badly this fight only lasted 38 seconds but a lot happened in that 38 seconds got rocked up against the cage recomposed himself got back in there uh pilarte got a little over anxious and um, came with a looping punch, and Newsom saw it coming and just got off that center line and returned one back to him that put, put him down hard. Um, so the fact that he has the power at 5'5 to knock out a, a guy that's 6 foot and, like, huge, like, doesn't rightfully look like he should be 135 pounds, I thought it was an awesome win for uh, Journey Newsom. So um, he's somebody to keep an eye on. At 135 pounds, I think that's a name you're going to be hearing a lot. It's not um, over
1: till it's over. That's true. There's been some fights where I have rocked some people, and I'm in my head. I'm not even kidding. I've seen in the video where I, I put a guy down on his ass, and I was like, "Holy crap!" Like I did it. I just knocked him out. Dude's up on your legs. You're getting taken down. Somehow? Yeah. So, yeah, man, you gotta you gotta keep that killer mentality and really just go until that ref saves this man's life.
0: So. Yeah, they're... There are some people in there who are, are looking for a way out and will stay down, and there are some people in there who just come back to life like Tyson Fury against yeah. Deontay Wilder. I mean, that was the, I think that's the craziest example I've ever seen of a guy who was dead like
1: <laughs> yeah, Jorge Masvidal, you know, bless his soul, was always tweeting hashtag you know the resurrection, but that man was literally resurrected <laughs> that, from the dead. I, that was it's I that, don't know how he got up from that. It's that gypsy magic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, here, here's the other one that this was the worst decision on the whole card. It was Andre Yule against Jonathan Martinez. Um, Yule outstruck Martinez, but Martinez was pressuring forward the whole fight. Um, and it's not the fact that I thought Martinez should have won. It was a close fight. I could see it being a split decision, but one judge gave it 30-27 to Andre Yule, and that was just a ridiculous score uh, because uh, Martinez did a lot of damage. He easily won one round. He could have won two. If he won the fight, it wouldn't have been a robbery. Obviously, one judge thought uh, he won the fight. Um, I think he broke Yule's wrist with a kick, he was fucking him up with low calf kicks, um, and uh, you know Yule was landing more, and he was landing some pretty big shots. Um, but Martinez was controlling the fight. The fact that so the only pr- thing I have a problem with was the judge that gave thirty twenty seven to Yule because this was a really close fight, and he definitely didn't win all three rounds. Um, and that's all I got. Any any uh, kind of closing thoughts on two forty seven here?
1: Not really anything that we haven't touched on. Uh, I really like your comment about how we should have judges separated, maybe watch a live stream, mm-hmm. right? But I think on top of that, they should be separated from each other. Yeah. Who knows what goes down there? You know, we watch these fights live. We know they sit close to each other. I mean, who's to say? A lot of people bash on Joe Rogan because they think some like, I love Joe Rogan, guys. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to let Stephen A. Smith go out there and commentate on these fights. All right, we know that. Okay. But... Joe Rogan has a lot of knowledge, and yeah, some of the things he could be saying could sound biased towards one fighter. So the question is, when the judges are sitting near him, like, does that word of mouth, you know, get into their head, Mm -hmm. and now next thing you know, they're sitting here watching a fight, or maybe texting, right, and they're looking at the judges next to them, and they say one thing, and now it influences all of them, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know from social experience, you take one psychology class, you'll see videos on how easily human beings are influenced by the human beings. Oh, sure. No one ever wants to make their own assessment. They want to wait for everyone else. And that's what happens. So I think not only you're right, should they not be right there, right? They need to be away from each other so they can have an honest, no-pressure view of who won that fight.
0: Where you have the one judge who's sitting right in front of John Jones's grandma, who's yeah, like yeah. screaming every time. And we know how you, you know sympathy, man. Yeah, we know how family members and and cornermen, you know, it's an actual tactic to try and influence influence the match. Like, oh, that was a great shot, you landed right there, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, trying to influence the referee. Or like, you know, he's holding him down, ref. We need to stand up. And like all stuff like this that that men will try to do. Um, let's take a quick look at the fights we got coming up next week because, um, you know, you, you think about what could be next for John Jones, and I think the answer is probably the winner of Corey Anderson and Jan Blachowicz. Uh So next week, in, uh, in New Mexico, we got UFC Fight Night 167 headlined by Corey Anderson and Jan Blachowicz. This is a rematch. Um, both of these guys have been on a tear lately. I, I'm really excited for this fight. Um, do you think the winner gets a title shot, and and how do you think this one goes down?
1: This is a hard one for me to answer because that fight is going to leave. Some, we're, we're only hours away from what happened last night, right? Mm-hmm. That fight left so many questions. Dana White even commented that he thought Reyes won 3-2. Uh-huh. So, Corey Anderson, Jan Blokowicz, that's very exciting to look forward to. They had a close fight last time. Um, that Polish power is going to be interesting. I think he's got some newfound confidence lately. Mm-hmm. That fight's not going the distance, by the way, in my head. Someone's getting knocked fuck out. mm mm-hmm. Now, if Reyes doesn't get the immediate rematch, and you have to ask yourself, does he want the immediate rematch? Does he want to grow and beat other people, get his confidence back? Or does he feel like, hey, I can go in there and in a few months' time, make the corrections I need to beat John? Yeah, We'll see. But yes, I agree. I think they are the next fight, but it just depends. Yeah, Is there the instant rematch, or are they going to let him fight someone else? Uh,
0: I mean, history tells us when there's a close championship fight uh the contender usually doesn't get a rematch if they don't win even if it was really close so and if uh if Jan blachowicz has an impressive knockout a week after john jones wins you know that's built-in marketing yeah you know does everybody want to see another five-round fight between jones and reyes which we just saw mm-hmm. or do we want to see this polish hammer get in there with john jones um uh, conversely with uh with Corey Anderson. If Corey Anderson gets in there and smashes um, Blahovich, you know, we're probably going to want to see that fight. Uh, You know, it's it's just the way we work. People are, are going to forget real quick about Reyes. And and there's a lot of people right now that are outraged, but you know, outrage fizzles out, uh, you know, you know, faster than a firecracker and a bucket of water. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, people will forget in a couple of weeks, like, Oh, Reyes won three or two. And, and in a couple of weeks, like, I don't even remember watching John Jones fight. You know, and this is most people I'm talking about, not people who are uh, involved in the sport. Definitely not listeners of this show. You guys are going to remember what you thought about John Jones, Dominic Reyes. Um, here's a fight I'm really fucking excited for Diego Sanchez and Michelle Perea. Uh, this is going to be a circus because these are two guys. Perea comes in there, like, doing. Like cartwheels and somersaults And jumping off the cage And Diego Sanchez is just a fucking savage Like king of the savages Yeah, yeah I,
1: I want to know Like what is the environment of the room Where these meetings go down Like there's just that guy in the back You know he's on his phone His legs are crossed They're talking He's like oh what about this right Like what about this fight and Everyone sits there and they're just like Yeah fuck it why not Like why don't we just put that in there But you're right this This man is a circus right Yeah Uh, Perea Good lord dude Backflips in the octagon While fighting Like that's some movie stuff You know You you look at that And like all, all your friends Watching up Like I used to grow up Watching like Jackie Chan movies Right (laughs) <laughs> and you grow up, and when you become an adult, you're like, that shit doesn't happen in real fighting. And then you see this guy, right? You're like, yeah. okay, well, I guess it does happen. Yeah. And we all know Diego, all right? The guy believes that if he goes out in a lightning storm, he's going to absorb energy to make himself stronger. <laughs> so you, I you love put it. these two in the same octagon, yeah, man, it's, it's not going to be boring, I promise you that. So Yeah.
0: <sighs> and Look it, out. And uh, Diego Sanchez is just, like, ageless, I mean, this, the last guy left from season one of ultimate fighter and he doesn't look a day older than he did <laughs> on that show. It's the, the guy has, has figured out how to like, he's found the fountain of youth or something. Lightning man. Um, so they, we've, we've rarely seen Diego Sanchez, uh, knocked out. Uh, there was the TKO against BJ Penn where, where his face was just gushing blood, um, but I can't recall ever seeing him put out cold except against Matt Brown Brown with that elbow. That elbow was nasty. Um, If Perea can somehow put him out cold, I think that's his only chance because we saw in Perea's last fight, once all that flashy stuff wore off and he got tired, he got smashed by a lightweight um, who who was brought in to get destroyed, to to be a highlight reel for this guy, if we're being honest. Um, But once he empties that gas tank... He's going to be in trouble against a guy who has no empty on his gas tank. (laughs) I mean, Diego Sanchez will not stop unless you turn his brain off. Uh, So that's why I think this is the most exciting fight on this card. Another one that's really exciting to me, Yancy Medeiros and Lando Venata. These are two guys who are Mm. very unorthodox strikers, very aggressive. Um, You know, We've seen one of the greatest fights I've ever seen was – uh Lando Venata and Matt Frivola, who uh, I, I know you're familiar with. Uh and I, I've talked about that fight so many times. I was campaigning for that to be fight of the year uh so bad that year. But um They
1: got robbed by uh, Weidman and Jocerey that night. Yeah that's the, what happened. It
0: didn't even get fight of the night. Yeah, <laughs> it should have been crazy. It was should've one been. of the wildest fights I always tell people, like, if you're new to the show If you're a long-time listener, you're sick of hearing me talk about this. But if you're new to the show, go watch Lando Venata and Matt Steamroller for VOLA. In any case, uh, Medeiros and Venata, both very aggressive styles. Um, Tim Means and Daniel Rodriguez, same thing. These guys are going to meet in the middle and just be swinging on each other. That's a fun fight. Um, I'm going to rattle off a a bunch, and then you you tell me which ones stick out to you the most. John Dodson and Nathaniel Wood. Let's um, see
1: that John Dodson is an exciting, explosive man. It's very, it's very, very fun to watch that guy. Yeah,
0: but very tactical too. Yeah. Like he, he can be very patient, um, and and he's got a really high fight IQ. Uh, Jim Miller, Scott Holtzman, uh, that that's a ton uh, tough fight. Uh, two like really durable guys in there. Um, Ray Borg and Rogerio. Bontorin, I'm not too familiar with Bontorin but he's 16 and one. Uh, Casey Kenny and Marab Devalishvili. Uh Marab is a fucking machine. Uh, from I've heard stories of this guy in the training room mm-hmm. and Hill Spar, Five rounds straight, and then be looking for fresh guys to, to spar with. Like they just they can't get him to stop.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's a steamroller's teammate actually. So I've heard some pretty crazy stories about the guy myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's coming out of law MMA. Uh, supposedly they can't find anybody that wants to fight this guy, but Casey Kenny wants to fight him. Um, so it's tough. It's a tough thing because Mirab, the guy's a nightmare to deal with. Uh, but he doesn't have the greatest record in the UFC. so You don't if, want to lose to that. Right? Yeah, if you're yeah. a bantamweight, it's like, why do I want to get in there with this animal when it doesn't give me that much of a bump uh, to beat him, which, which puts uh, Marab in a shitty situation. And then um, the former champ, Nico Montano, uh, getting back in there against Macy Chiasin. um Mark De La Rosa and Valulian uh, Paiva. Paiva, um, not familiar with those guys either. If I'm being honest, but I, I will be by next week. Uh, I promise you guys. Um, I always like to get the names right. It's you know, it's like a bit of an OCD thing, and I feel like I'm out there in the media. I should be saying people's names right, but it's professional. I try, but then I also drink a lot too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the last question I have for you. I know you said you do the music festivals and you do a little bit of partying. Uh, I I usually prefer to drink with fighters when we're doing this, but you're a week away from a fight, so I'm not going to peer pressure you into that. I know how your coaches feel about that as well. Uh, I happen to be familiar with them. Um, But if you were not in fight camp, are you someone who dabbles in adult beverages?
1: to be honest i'm not a big drinker anymore Uh, I i like to say that i already put my liver through its punishment back in the old jarhead days because let me tell you and my grandfather actually was a marine and he told me three things he said a marine can fight drink and fuck all right so as a young man growing up you know traveling the world going to different countries i had my fair share of drinking but every now and then you know maybe we can catch me after this fight or before another big event and i'll gladly sit down and i'll have a I'll have a glass with you.
0: All right. Well, we'll only ask you to prove uh, two of those three things publicly. <laughs> uh, but it, w- surprise! I'm making <laughs> my entry into porn, guys. <laughs> hey, um, stranger things have happened. We we got a, a gay porn star who's a bare knuckle boxer. Uh, so that's life. Yeah, that is life. Um, so this took a turn. In any case, uh, when you when you do drink what's the what's the drink of choice i always have to ask everybody you You know i
1: used to be a jack and coke guy that's like what i like to sip on um hell even at one point in time i don't know i ever did this to myself it led to many blackouts um (laughs) but yeah i used to i used to be a long island guy okay i don't know why i just that's just what i liked when i was younger i used to love drinking long islands terrible hangovers yeah strong uh, drinks a lot of sugar strong drinks a lot of sugar And that that is what it is. I mean, I don't really have a preference, you know, but if I'm sitting down having a conversation with someone,
0: Jack and Coke. All right. Well, Jack and Coke, you heard it. February 15th, Mini-Rag Hall, Largo, Florida. Matt Allison will be putting his Vigilant MMA Bantamweight Championship on the line against Javier Gonzalez. So go check that out for tickets. Don't forget to add his name when you buy your tickets online so he gets credit for that it helps build his reputation with the promoter and sometimes there's commissions involved there depending on the contract so help the fighters out don't forget that step or you can catch the live stream on the vigilant mma website as well matt let the people know once again where they can find you on social media and if you have Any shout-outs, sponsors, uh, teammates that you want to shout out, the floor is
1: yours, my friend. So you can find me on Instagram at MattyIceMMA. And as far as sponsors go, I am on Team Reaper, so I am sponsored by Rip Life one The owner's name is Ryan. He's a great guy, super veteran-friendly, and his whole mission is to go out and support fighters. He makes all of our shirts for us. We don't have to pay for them. We get $10 off of every shirt. So the guy really takes care of us. He really just wants to pr- promote MMA, not just here in Tampa, but all across the board. The guy's awesome. He's always in my inbox. Love it. I'm also sponsored by Locks Hair Wax Company, all right? If you've ever looked at me when I'm going out and you've wondered how that comb-over get so mean, I know I got a hat right now, which, by the way, boom, rip life, thank you very much. <laughs> but, but Locks Hair Wax Company, thank you to Jerry Ohm, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram That's where I get all the service done on my Jeep. It's been an honor getting to meet uh, the general manager, Joey. The guy always takes care of me. And I believe if he can get off work in time, he will be at my fight next weekend. So thank you for that. And then the last shout out I'm gonna give is Activate Performance. So it's a strength and conditioning company here in Tampa. The owner's name is Adam. He's a great guy. He's been taking care of me for years. When I have breaks in between school and fighting, That's where I go in and get my workouts in. The guy's phenomenal. I'm telling you, if you've got teenagers in sports, if you want to be a a professional athlete, he'll get you where you need to be.
0: Awesome. All right, guys. Well, make sure you check out Matt's fight next week. Hit him up on social media. Check out his sponsors. Matt, thanks for your time, my man. Appreciate you you coming on the show. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media. That's all we got. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. (laughs)